0: If you're committed to transitioning to a new role outside of the classroom, let me give you some advice. Don't try to navigate this journey all on your own. The Teacher Career Coach course will walk you step-by-step through the entire process. When you sign up, you'll get help picking your career path, have access to a library of transition resumes for teachers written by a professional, and even gain access to a list of hundreds of companies that hire teachers. Most importantly, you'll join our exclusive private community to collaborate with others and network. I've dedicated my time putting together templates and resources to create the most thorough program to help save you time. Learn more about the Teacher Career Coach course at teachercareercoach.com forward slash course. Here's your host of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast and your new personal cheerleader, Daphne Gomez. Welcome to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Daphne Gomez. And in this episode, I interview Sarah Sterner. She's a science teacher who left for instructional design and learning experience design. In this episode, we talk all about why she left teaching. And so for any of you who are thinking about making a very speedy exit, this may be the story for you. And we also talk about her experience, leveraging her new experience outside of the classroom to continue to grow in her career. Hey, Sarah, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. I know we have been connected online, offline for a few years. And there are a lot of teachers who are following you actually on LinkedIn. But Probably for the majority of the audience, this might be the first time that they've been exposed to you. So do you mind sharing a little bit about who you are and your experience working in education?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I was a science teacher, a middle school science teacher in a northeastern district of Atlanta. So I taught for almost a little over five years and met my wife on the job. My wife was my mentor, and so that was really great. And we taught at the same school, you know, as you can imagine, being openly gay teachers in Georgia in the same school and getting married and having the same last name and stuff is, was a risk and an adventure. And um, we taught at the same school for many, many years, and then we had an opportunity to go to a new school, which we knew was in a different part of the district that was demographically different and that there was potential... For the community to not be as accepting of us as the prior schools community was. That was a correct assumption of far earlier than we would realize of basically I had a parent who started targeting me before the school year even started in 2021 because I was an openly gay teacher and I had shared that we were expecting our first child. You know, we had done IVF. My wife was pregnant. Which I thought was a pretty normal thing to share. And, you know, just probably like, the kids and, would have figured it out. With yeah. the as I figured, well. you, and like, you know, some people had ish, took issue with like the, the IVF piece of that. And I'm like, well, I figured it's better to share that detail and be maybe have it be too much information than not have enough because then I don't want like rumors going around about, well, how did she get pregnant? And it's like, well, There, like, I'm just answering it for you. It's just like, there, that way there's no extra speculation needed. It's obviously not anyone's business, but it just, if it shuts down the potential for rumors, then I will just share that ahead of time. But needless to say, none of that went well. The district that I was working for did not, they did not ever tell me that I had done anything wrong, but they also at the same time sort of made it my fault and tried to sort of, come up with sort of sham things to punish me for as a way to be able to tell this parent that they did something so that the parent would kind of go away. Uh, the parent did not go away and just kind of kept pushing. And so all of this is culminating when around the time where my wife was seven and a half months pregnant and ha- experiencing high blood pressure, experiencing complications. And so my plan was, I'm going to have parental leave soon. I need to be able to find a job so that I can find a job while I'm on parental leave and not have to return after parental leave. And our son was due October 15th. So I was like, okay, just need to make it to October. I'll find a job on leave and not come back, which was a great plan. All this started in August, literally beginning of the school year. So kind of casually started looking at jobs, but I'm not going to lie. I really thought that it was going to blow over and just kind of pass and like wouldn't be a big deal. And I maybe wouldn't have to find a new job. It was nobody I knew had ever done that. Nobody I knew had ever pivoted out of education, certainly not mid-year. So I didn't really know what I was doing, frankly, but it just felt like something I needed to do. That really came to a head when I had a particularly contentious discussion with a certain HR leader who made it pretty clear that uh, she had her own biases against my community and wasn't interested in defending me at all to this parent and basically told me I should be grateful I wasn't fired for God knows what. now, she never quite finished that sentence. And so after that conversation, it was just very clear to me of like, I cannot stay teach. I cannot continue to be a teacher. I cannot be in this environment. We're about to have our first child. I need to be mentally healthy and whole for my son. And I can't do that if I'm having to worry about being who I am in the classroom and worry about mm-hmm. community members targeting me just because I have a wife. And so that was a big revelation for me. And that was a, a scary revelation as well. So all of that's happening. And then within three or four days after that revelation, my wife was hospitalized at 33 weeks and five days of pregn- you know, of gestation. And we learned early on in that hospitalization that she would not be leaving the hospital until after the baby was born. So the hope was to keep the baby in until 37 weeks and, you know, induce or, or whatever that plan also did not last long. <laughs> she, she ended up having an emergency C section a few days later and our son was born six weeks early. So all of this is happening around the time that like, you know, I had started pushing out hundreds of applications a day and I am not exaggerating that it was an obsessive survival mode job hunt that was not healthy. I do not recommend it to anybody. But it was effective, to be fair. Um, so I started was starting to get interviews and stuff. So I am interviewing from my wife's hospital room. I'm interviewing from the NICU for all kinds of positions, frankly. You know, I had my master's in instructional technology. So ID sounded like a reasonable next step. I didn't actually know much about ID. I was learning on the fly, trying to sound competent in these interviews because I hadn't done any of these things before. I knew I had the skills to be able to do it and to be able to learn it but I didn't have experience. I think my degree actually made it sound like I had more experience than I did. Yeah. And so that was an advantage that I'm not going to lie that helped. But even I was even interviewing for sales positions. I frankly, that does not sound like my cup of tea. I would not have probably liked working in sales, but it was just a matter of I've got to find anything to get out and not teach here anymore. And so, yeah, it was a wild, wild ride. I was on LinkedIn, but i didn't, I never posted anything. I I don't think I ever posted anything until after I ended up getting my first job out of education. I didn't really understand the purpose of LinkedIn posting. So it was kind of an interesting thing being a sort of passenger in in LinkedIn, and then kind of accidentally becoming a driver, which I'll talk about, I guess, in a minute. But um, my transition out of the classroom was very sudden, not well planned. Don't recommend the way I did it, but it happened and I'm grateful it happened.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And if you don't mind sharing, one, congratulations on (laughs) your first child. You're also expecting a second coming up pretty soon now. But besides the birth of your first child, did you ever have any indication that it might not be your forever career in your
1: first few years of teaching Absolutely. Yeah. You know, with my wife being my mentor, you know, even when I started teaching, so she was in her 13th, 14th year of teaching when I first started, she was already pretty burned out. And, and so, you know, I was able mm-hmm. to, because of, because we were working in the same department and things, some of the factors relating to that burnout, you know, I was able to kind of help her with. But then over time, and especially with the pandemic, I knew I probably didn't want to be a classroom teacher for 30 years. You know, I just, I just saw that. And that, Didn't scare me or anything. So that was actually why I chose, you know, instructional technology as my master's degree, because a, as a teacher, as I'm sure most of you know, at least in my state, getting advanced degrees was the only way to get a pay increase. So I was like, well, I need to get another degree because I want to raise, but I would like to get it in something that isn't just for teaching. So, you know, I don't want to get it in science education. I don't even really want to get it in curriculum because those aren't as applicable to the outside world. And I didn't really know what instructional technology would do for me outside of teaching, but I just knew that that had a more general sound and possible application to the private sector. So it just was a safety net thing that I did. Not really picturing my transition out, but just knew that it would help if or when I ever did want to.
0: And it sounds like you're pretty tech savvy. So let's talk about your first role outside of the classroom. That was an instructional design position, correct? Yes, it was. And did you look into instructional design because you naturally felt a little bit more inclined to work with technology or like you enjoy that aspect of creating things?
1: Yeah, I definitely did. You know, when I was a teacher, I was very into trying new ed tech tools. I was usually piloting things. I was usually teaching professional developments on things. And I, I was finding tools that like nobody had heard of. And I'm not saying that as like a pat on my back. I was just a nerd. And I, I liked trying exciting new things. I wanted to make science engaging for kids. I wanted to make kids excited about coming to school or even, you know, learning online. I ended up being one of the kind of more prominent online teachers as we were sort of straddling that return to school slash still staying online type thing. And I love the challenge of that, of trying to take something that is usually so hands on like science and translate that to an online environment for 11 year olds, you know, who are... (laughs) not super tech savvy but like curious and they want to learn things and you know i love that challenge of trying to find workarounds and simple ways to recreate that experience online it was fun but it was also very tiring (laughs) it definitely led to some burnout
0: With your new role, did you find that there is better
1: work-life balance once you shifted into instructional design? Yes, like to an unsettling degree, frankly. Um, You know, I think when teaching was my first and only other career experience, you know, that sets the tone for what you believe is normal about working and about leaders and work expectations in your job. And so, when I transitioned into an instructional design position with a company that had a really great culture and great leaders, great people I worked for and worked with that were just very all about mental health and supporting employees. And I like almost didn't know what to do with myself. It was too good to be true. That was really how it felt for a long time. It took a long time to believe that like nobody was looking over my shoulder trying to find things I was doing wrong or not doing, or, you know, which is not me. I mean, I'm, I'm a hard worker and I'm a rule follower. But um, yeah, it was a crazy amount of work-life balance.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like when your first career comes with all the challenges that teaching comes with, and then also... Sometimes we come from work environments that are not very professional, not very supportive, not very collaborative in the education space. And then we go into these corporate environments and we're expecting it to almost be more cold or harder um, like, oh, well, if this is what sunshine and rainbows and stickers and fifth graders are, are like, then what's going to happen when I go to this Fortune 500 company or this corporation? Like they're going to be big boss businessman who's just completely cold and cruel. And then when you see the opposite, I think that's such a shock yeah. for so many teachers and so many former teachers once they really realize that.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, again, an interesting litmus test for me was, you know, going from an environment where I had basically gotten in trouble for being gay. I mean, if we just want to call a spade a spade to corporate environments where like LGBTQ diversity is celebrated and welcomed and affirmed. I was just like, this is awesome, but also is kind of mind boggling. And I choose to believe that that is probably how the majority of workplaces are now, but just so much the opposite in education that it is wild. The discrepancy between
0: a heterosexual teacher and being able to show, here's a picture of my family. And let me talk about family on back to school night. And the expectation of you having zero identity is so hard on so many people. And it's so unfair. And I could talk about that for an entire podcast episode, I feel like. But I'm so happy that you were able to use this to help leverage yourself into a better situation because ultimately unfortunately I don't think that that problem is going away anytime soon there isn't going to be a huge resolve for teachers who are struggling with being able to just be human and also teachers at the same time you were at your first instructional design position for a little bit over a year correct yeah about a year and a half yep what made you start looking for other jobs beyond that. Cause that's something I really wanted to talk to you about as well. Is I know you've been able to, it's not necessarily successfully pivot, like these were all stepping stone careers, but you were able to continue to climb and change corporations or change places where you were working and climb the corporate ladder in a pretty short amount of time. And I'd love to hear your first experience. Uh, when did you start looking for other jobs or what did that process look like after you left the classroom and were in that first position?
1: Yeah. So, I, I mean, first of all, the decision to try to even look for another job when I was in f- the position that I was in with my first job out of education was wonderful. And I I loved the people. I loved the work. I loved the mission of the organization. I was really, really happy there. And so it wasn't it was so different from my previous job hunt of where I was like, I have to get out right now because I need. Uh, it's an emergency kind of thing, and so the choice to even consider looking was different this time. What it really came down to was money. We were looking at trying to have another child, and daycare is practically another mortgage payment here. And you know, I just wasn't making an amount that would support another mortgage payment. To, you know, frankly, and so that was a really hard. Thing to have to reckon with was like, these two things aren't going to be able to work together. Uh, I can't stay here and also accomplish the personal goals that I have with my family. So that was really bittersweet, but uh, you know, my managers were very understanding, very kind and supportive about it. And so there was no, no ill will, no hard feelings there, but I started probably January, February of this year looking. And then I kind of utilized the same processes that I had done with my first job hunt. I had also helped my job with her, my wife, with her job hunt a couple of months after my first switch. So I, for better or for worse, I'm kind of used to this and um, put together a resume, got some great advice from some friends on LinkedIn and started applying and, you know, ended up, I think I applied to 150 or so positions. I got interviews at 15 to 20 of those. Some dropped off after the first, you know, interview, but I probably had about 10 Roles that I made it more than one round and then it just got really competitive from there. And the, the, you know, the company that I really wanted is the one that I I ended up getting, which I was super, super grateful for. And and that came with a pretty, a pretty steep pay increase, which is, which has been really nice for trying to add on to the family. I wish it felt more exciting in this world of inflation, (laughs) but, um, it's definitely, I wouldn't have been able to stay at my last job with this economy.
0: Yeah. And one thing that I love that you shared the actual number of how many applications you sent out, like, obviously, it's just kind of like a rough estimate of 150. Mm -hmm. But this is after you already had experience outside the classroom. This is you were showing that you had a portfolio, a resume with years of experience in this field. So was this something that surprised you when you left the classroom?
1: How competitive jobs really are for these types of positions? I'm going to be honest with you. Honestly, no. And I think that's maybe where my mindset was a little bit different than other teachers, because I think I'm an only child. So maybe that plays into it of I think I've always just I knew that getting out of teaching wasn't going to be just some easy thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's very different from in the world of teaching. I was just thinking about this earlier because I knew we're going to be talking about some of this to a degree. I think when you're a teacher, you're used to kind of doing things in packs There's a very strong sense of, like, camaraderie amongst teachers. There's a very strong culture of group learning, even getting advanced degrees. You know, half of those are in-house in cohort programs. So, like, you're even professionally advancing your own career in the context of working with other people. So this idea that you would go out and, like, have to fend for yourself and upskill for yourself and apply and break into these job markets where there are other people with more experience than you in that field that you're trying to get into. I knew that going in. And so I guess that was just something that I always had in my mind because, you know, like my dad's a salesman. And so I just, I just kind of always heard in my head of like, I'm going to have to sell myself to these people. It's on me to show them why I can meet their needs, even though I don't have the specific things on my resume they might be looking for. That part just wasn't even, it is hard for me. I think sometimes to understand and see the people who are like, Oh, I've been applying for a year or whatever, and nothing's happening. And just sort of this sort. And I don't, I don't say that to, to imply that anyone is, is less than or that they're not doing things right. But I think there is this sentiment that it's a more passive process than it is, or that there is going to be somebody who walks along the road with you and like helps you get what you want. And that's just not how I've ever seen it. And I think that has been to my advantage in a way. Yeah,
0: I've seen that quite a bit. And we have coaching calls with people in the teacher career coach course and people DMing us all the time. And they're at this like level of frustration of like, I have done so much. I've been trying so hard and this is literally impossible. And then they'll say something or we'll ask a clarifying question and they'll say something around the lines of. Well, I have been applying for four months time, but I've sent out about 25 total applications because I'm being really, really picky with the types of roles that I'm applying for. And we're like, OK, that's unfortunately, it's not a numbers game necessarily when you still need to be tweaking your resume and all the other parts of it. If these were like really hardcore aligned with exactly what your resume says and very strategic and you have people who are ins at the company. But this is just it does feel a little bit like you said, more passive. And unfortunately, this was a wake up call for me was I thought that It was competitive for me to get into some of the teaching positions when I was changing districts. I thought like, oh, that was kind of (laughs) challenging. And then it was a real big kick in the butt when I finally (laughs) moved to other careers where, you know, it doesn't take specialized credential for you to apply for that role in a specific demographic. You're working like in the exact district within a driving distance. Mm -hmm. Like when these remote roles open up, everyone who's had any experience, even close to it are also applying for those same positions. So that can be a wake up call. I know that you and I have also talked a lot about your presence on LinkedIn, how you kind of became a little mini LinkedIn influencer, but also some of the conversations that teachers are having on LinkedIn posts like, I've applied for so many jobs and this is impossible honestly being detrimental to their job search, that they're on LinkedIn using it as a platform. So do you mind sharing a little bit about your journey into using LinkedIn <laughs> and how that went
1: down? Yeah, um, that was completely by accident. So this is always really funny to talk about, because again, like like I said earlier, I was on LinkedIn for the sole purpose of just finding a new job. And I co- I also couldn't tell anybody that I was finding a new job. You know, I was still under contract. I couldn't go on and really tell people what had even happened, which was really Toxic in a lot of ways, you know. Of course, when I was interviewing and people are asking me why I'm leaving teaching, I, you know, I told employers in interviews because I was like, I honestly, I can't even make up a story that sounds. That's just what happened, and it sucks. And like, they'll either be okay with that and sympathetic, or they won't. And there's no, that's just I can't, I can't worry about it. So I didn't post anything on LinkedIn. And I really, I think I really looked at it as like, my life is a disaster right now. So I don't know what I would have to offer to this community. (laughs) I do not have any good advice. I don't have anything to add to this conversation because I'm brand new to this field. So it was probably a good month after I got my ID job, which I had not started yet either, because thankfully, they allowed me to delay my start date so that I could have my parental leave that I had saved up as a teacher. So I was super lucky with that. But I, my very first post that I ever made was my honest to God reflection on what it felt like to be cleaning out my classroom when I never thought I would be, frankly, and certainly not mid year. And at the time, my wife was still, she was on maternity leave, but she was still employed there and was also going to be returning as a teacher there. And so that was a very profound day in my life of just having to physically close my teaching career in that way when I didn't, frankly, didn't want to. I didn't feel like it was my choice. It was my choice. And I'm glad I made that choice, but I felt like it had been made for me. And that was really, that was hard, I think at the time. And so it was just a post of my feelings, my sadness, my anger, my hurt, but also just kind of a call to action of like, we've got to do better because and it's been really hard to see how things have evolved in the last two years, to be honest with you, because I think I wanted my situation to be an isolated incident that didn't happen to anybody else. I did not want to see this
0: mm-hmm.
1: get worse as a cultural issue. And it has gotten worse. And I'm I'm now having teachers message me from <laughs> they've been in the paper because they read a book about accepting all people to a group of elementary school students who voted to read the book, and she got the book in in their local book fair. Another teacher who, you know, is being targeted for being too involved in the clubs that they lead because those clubs have to do with LGBTQ acceptance and social justice and things. And it's hard to see that not only was I not an isolated incident, but it's becoming more common. And I know the feelings that those teachers are going through. So, basically when I posted that first post, that went viral on LinkedIn. And so all of these people just started following me. Mm -hmm. I was honored in a way to to be seen by that many people, but also the imposter syndrome is so real because I was like, I haven't even started my new job yet. I did this and I got out and I'm proud of myself for getting out, but it was very haphazard. It was not a polished, clean uh, job search following best practices for resumes and applications and Interviews. It was messy and ugly and bad strategies, bad practice. It worked, which yay, but can't say I recommend any of these things. And I'm not qualified to comment on your job hunt. So it's been a weird two year. And like, so obviously those, I've gotten more comfortable sharing my opinions. I've tried to learn this space a bit better, but I've also just really tried to pay attention to what is actually going on on LinkedIn. You know, as I mentioned to you kind of off recording, like, with way my job search went down, I didn't have the luxury of time to go through a program like yours or, or anybody's. I didn't, I didn't even frankly know these existed. And when I found out they existed, I was like, I got to find a new job in the next six weeks. I can't, I can't do this. And I don't have extra money, you know, to, to devote to it either. Cause I might be unemployed soon. Like. So to see all of these great things, you know, many great options are out there for teachers who do have more time and and want more structure with their job hunt and things and help figuring out what they want to do next. And that's awesome. But there's also a lot of grifters. And it's really disgusting, frankly, is the word I would use. I very specifically not ever marketed my services because I don't have services because I'm not an expert. And I wish people were more comfortable saying that themselves.
0: (sighs) LinkedIn is, I would say, probably one of my least favorite places on the internet, the way that it makes me feel every time I go on there. Because like you said, there's a lot of really great resources, a lot of people giving really good advice. There's a lot of people who are with big hearts giving not so good advice. And then getting in fights with other people who are trying to politely correct them of, hey, maybe don't say this because it might work once in one unique circumstance. But overall, general best practice, you know, it's not the best advice. And it has become in this space really hard to navigate what's good and what's bad. But I also want to go back to what you said about you didn't really use it much during your career hunt. And this is where I think a lot of the disconnect is, is teachers get on LinkedIn when they're in the middle of their transition and they see everyone who is overposting or oversharing in order to try and build their own audience. And they don't necessarily realize you don't have to do that And often (laughs) oversharing before you understand the space you're in or who you're trying to write to or what you're doing is potentially what is keeping you from getting those interviews. You don't have to have a single post. You don't have to have a single comment. But if your posts or your comments are, hey, here's an update from my job search. I'm not doing so well. This is really confusing or I'm really overwhelmed. That's not something you would necessarily say in an interview. So it's not what you want on a post or a comment on LinkedIn where hiring managers are going to see it.
1: No. And that's been my thought as well. And like, I, at the same time, you know, I, I, in some ways, I guess I respect that level of transparency. I think it's good in some ways for teachers to see that this isn't easy and this isn't a fast process. And so like, I think some level of that and some level of that sharing is healthy, but it, it very, very quickly becomes unprofessional and potentially a detriment to your hunt. And so I think those are better conversations to be having in more private groups, you know, of like, there, there needs to be a place to vent those feelings, but maybe not with everybody kind of thing.
0: 100%. I think that finding a private group or finding a safe space or texting a friend, just LinkedIn posts and comments, one of the ways that I've always described this, and i Think you can probably relate to it. If we were fortunate enough to be in the process of hiring for someone to come to our home, let's say a nanny, and we were looking up the history of three different nannies and two of them wrote, I'm not even quite sure I wanted to be a nanny a month and a half before or (laughs) they wrote something around the lines of, hey, I don't really know how to do like overnight stays or I don't know how to do diapers. I'm really confused. Can someone walk me through it? Even though they've had that month and a half to like actually learn it, even if they did really well in the interview, if all three nannies were all the exact same, you would get a little bit scared of the two Mm -hmm. that overshared. You'd be looking for things because they were showing breadcrumbs of where they were in the process. And it's not necessarily something you as a potential employer want to see. It doesn't alleviate those concerns. And right now, employers are looking for people who are the furthest along. They're looking for the people who are self-sufficient and pulling themselves up and learning on their own with really great mindsets, and are also really confident that the job they're applying for is a job they would do for a couple of years. Yeah. Like that's what hiring managers really want is someone who knows what they're going to do. So if you're on LinkedIn saying, I don't know what I want to do, that's that, I don't know if I even like nannying.
1: (laughs) Do I even want to be a nanny? Question mark. That is just so, (laughs) it's so spot on. And I think that goes back to kind of The way I handled it when I was first transitioning was I really took that to heart. Like in my A, I knew my net resume needed to be on point so that I could get interviews. That's a first step. I just need everyone to back up of like, if you're not getting interviews, it is your resume, period, end of story. That's how that is the ticket to an interview. So I knew that if I could get interviews that I could have a way to talk about being, I I wanted to be very honest about my experience because I definitely didn't want to get into a job where I was in over my head and getting into like a worse situation kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I kind of developed this very basic format of like, I don't have experience in this, but here's what I do have. I don't have experience with this LMS, but here's here's the LMS I am familiar with and here's what I've done. And here's how I think it could translate to the thing that you're asking about. And I think everybody has got to figure out what that script looks like for them and you need to practice it and you need to be confident in it. Because I think another thing that probably happens a lot with teachers and interviews is like, you don't have that preparation for those questions. And so you don't know how to answer or you're just answering with the first part of that, which is like, well, actually, I don't have a lot of experience with that. And then you're ending that sentence with a period and they're like, Oh, okay. So there's more to that sentence hopefully and if there's not you can be very honest about that too and say I'm, ac- I'm but i'm really willing to learn here's all the things i'm doing but i think there's just a lot of small missteps that happen in a lot of teachers job hunts that completely undo their progress or their chances that could be easily fixed essentially
0: and a lot of it that confidence piece is huge and it's not something that comes overnight it comes with practicing the skills practicing whatever tiny tasks you can do that are similar to what the job is learning about the job, whether it's on LinkedIn learning or whatever program can kind of quickly teach you, hey, give me 30 minutes of what a customer success manager does. And that way, in those interviews, you're able to say, hey, I know how important X is to this job. I don't have full experience with that, that particular skill. But I have this other skill that's really similar and I can see how these skills are similar. And this skill, it only took me, you know, X amount of time for me to teach myself this. I taught myself this on my own because I was so excited about implementing it in this way. And that's Mm -hmm. how I know I would be really great at this particular role is because how connected these things are. You're going to have to tie those or connect those dots for people. But such great advice. When you are on LinkedIn, do you have a couple of favorite people to actually
1: follow on there that you would suggest other people follow? Oh, Demi, mean, definitely. I mean, it's, this is a tricky one because I have so many. So first of all, I want to say the, the algorithm is sometimes not the most helpful. So like there are probably a lot more people that I wish I was following that I just don't happen to see anymore. Heidi Kirby has always been a fave. Tim Slade. I definitely got some good snippets from the TPLD group at the time. And you, of course your podcast was great. There is a lot of good stuff out there. And there are a lot of really reputable people who are offering genuinely good advice for low to no cost. But for every one of those, there's probably at least five offering not as good advice who they maybe haven't been out of the field very long. They don't really know what they're talking about, but the algorithm is feeding them people and views. And so that's a an addictive feeling for some people. And so they just kind of keep saying things regardless of whether or not those things are necessarily based in fact. So yeah, I mean, I would just say use your best judgment. All the tips you give people usually are, are really good of like, how long have they been in the field? You know, what kinds of things are they saying? Anybody who is advising you to pay them thousands upon thousands of dollars or to lie about being a teacher or like just use your critical thinking skills, teachers, just do your due diligence. I, again, I didn't use any of these programs, so I can't fully vouch for them. But I've always appreciated Daphne's. I know people personally who have used Daphne's program, because it is very affordable. And it's also not so prescriptive. I think these academies and these different role specific courses and things can get themselves into a bit of a dangerous territory when they're sort of creating an illusion of promises that after X number of months, you you will be an ID, you will be a customer success manager, when A, maybe that's not even what you want to do, because there's other options out there. But B, they can't truly promise you that they can probably set you up for a good situation to maybe make that happen for yourself. But like, you're going to be the one doing that. Mm -hmm. And I just wish there was a little bit more transparency on the individuality of that journey.
0: Yeah. And we have a whole podcast episode. It's called, I think, sorting through the noise and vetting career advice. So if you have not gone back to listen to that, we give our best advice on how to check people's qualifications or how to see if something feels off or who's a really good person to follow, who's going to be a subject matter expert in specific things. Because if you asked me any questions about being a data analyst or... (laughs) Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff. I got nothing for you. (laughs) Sarah, this has been so fun. My absolute favorite question to ask former teachers, and I know you probably have done a lot of reflection over this, is what did you learn about yourself during this
1: process? Oh, man. Um, you know, I think what I learned about myself is really more of what I learned about kind of the teaching profession, which is that it's very, um, trauma bonded in a way, because, uh, and I say this because my wife and I were both teachers. So most of our social circles and our friend groups were our fellow teachers. And so when we left and removed ourself from that environment, we've kind of lost a lot of friends, not really directly. It's not like people are mad at us. It's not like people just like, don't want anything to do with us, but it's a proximity thing. And like, so people we used to see every day and be really good friends with that we don't see every day. Now, We just don't really keep in touch which has kind of been a bummer but it's been a good i think self efficacy lesson for both my wife and i of like we can do things outside of teaching i think i think teaching is a profession that is very tunnel visioned and leads you to believe that like that is who you are and that is the only thing you can ever do and that's really what makes that transition so scary i think is that idea because my wife for example when she was looking to get out, she already had 18 years of experience and three degrees. Mm -hmm. She was making a salary that we were not at all confident that any new employer in a new profession was going to be able to match. It got to the point where her mental health was so bad that I told her, I was like, we will refinance the house and you can quit without having a job lined up. We've got to do what we've got to do. And thankfully, lucky for us, she ended up finding a job that paid her more than she made as a teacher. But that was a huge risk that we took not knowing how things were gonna work out. And so I think having gone through this twice now, basically, of of taking big risks to leave a profession without knowing what's gonna happen was a really good lesson for us that we can do hard things. To, I, feel, I feel like it's such a cliche, I'm quoting Glenn <laughs> and Doyle. I love Glenn and Doyle. But I know. Can, I was, yeah, I like, know you're
0: a fan. I've we, seen we your can. other posts. We, we,
1: yeah, we can do hard things and we can get through we can make decisions as a couple and we can support each other through big life changes, big, scary life changes, and that things do work out and that we can figure it out together. And so even though there are things that we lost from teaching, we've gained so much more. And we even we'd still look at each other sometimes and we're like, you know, things like taking our son to the dentist together or sudden doctor's appointments or, you know, he was running a fever on Sunday. So we kept him home yesterday and like my mom came over and helped we wouldn't have ever been able to do that as teachers. It our kid being sick would have been like a crisis because we're commuting 45 minutes. Like now it's just like a, okay, well like we're going to have the kid at home and we'll get done what we can get done at work today and it's not a big deal cuz our fellow coworkers also have kids and we both have unlimited PTO and so like we'll get done what we can get done today and that's just what our day looks like today. Totally different life. And so I'm grateful we went through it all. I'm proud of us that we did all of these hard things. Obviously, we make a lot more money than we would have ever made as teachers, but that's not really what it's about for us. It's just showing ourselves that we could do this. And I think a lot of teachers, when you get there and you will get there, you will feel that sense of pride of like, wow, I did a really hard thing by changing my career. And that alone is a really good feeling.
0: You are so inspirational. And also, I'm just so happy for you and your family and just everything that's happened for you is so well-deserved. Well, thank you. So... Congratulations. And also thank you so much for coming on, yeah. for sharing all this with the audience and just for being here. And I knew having you on was going to be really inspirational, but I could not have anticipated how beautiful you would have articulated that ending. And I'm just so grateful that oh, okay. you're here because so many people are going to be touched by that.
1: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. And, I, and again, it's been I've been in therapy for the last two years, too, which I highly recommend to every teacher getting out. Like, that's, it's a process. It's a process of getting to that place of, like, understanding how your work life influences the rest of your life and how toxic that can be and how also how to sort of see the forest through the trees of, like, yeah, you know, what we went through and why we left teaching was really bad and not pleasant and traumatic even, but... It gave us everything that we have now. And, and, and mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't want to go through what I went through again, but I also, I would do it another 10 times over if it means that I have the life that I have now. I think you don't, you just get there with time. That's really all it is.
0: It's really hard to see it when you're in the middle of it. Yes. But for sure, every poopy thing that's ever happened to me is because something really cool was on the other end. Yes. So 100% can confirm. Sarah, thank you so much, and I really appreciate you and your time today,
1: and congratulations again. Well, thanks, and likewise, I'm excited for you. I want to give a huge
0: thank you to Sarah for coming on and sharing her experience with this audience. Now, if you want to help other teachers find this support, there are two ways that you can help us. First, share this resource with other teachers. Let them know in private groups and public groups that you've been listening to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast, and that there's over a hundred episodes with former teachers and career experts to help other people through their career transition. The second way that you can help takes less than a minute, and it's just simply leave us a review on whatever podcast player you're listening. Take the time to please leave us a rating and review. It helps other people find the podcast and it really helps us. We read all of our reviews and we are just so grateful for you for being an audience member and a community member. We'll see you on the very next episode of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast.